Hello, Tapsters. This is your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. I wanted to let you know that originally we had planned on bringing you a podcast about Emmylou Harris's album, Wrecking Ball, this week. Unfortunately, we ran into some technical issues, and we'll be bringing you that podcast next week. In the meantime, please enjoy this week's podcast, Southside Johnny's Hearts of Stone. Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, dancing in the corner, but the bell won't ring. Dr. Zoom and the sonic boom. Tired of smiling at liars. And the child whose soul's a flame that loves to burn. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, everybody, or morning, or afternoon, whichever time you're choosing to listen to our lovely podcast. We provide that choice. <laughs> uh this is this uh, this is this is Vinyl Tap, and uh, we are broadcasting as always uh, from the Vinegar Inn Saloon in uh, Central slash North Austin. And I'm your host Tony Slagle. I'm joined by our other host Doug Cooper. Hello, and our very humble producer Jonathan J M Rowe. Hello, everyone in podcast land. So. Tonight, we are talking about another album that I knew very little about, uh, but was a very pleasant surprise and fun to listen to. It's an album by a gentleman by the name of John Lyon, otherwise known as Southside Johnny, the godfather of the New Jersey sound. And we're talking about his album, Hearts of Stone. And Doug, I believe you picked this album. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about it. One is, how did you, I'm, I'm intrigued, a guy from Texas, because I don't believe you ever lived in New Jersey, and I don't believe Southside Johnny was a regular radio uh, staple in Austin. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I lived in Fort Worth. He wasn't a regular staple in the DFW area. How did you first hear about Southside Johnny? First question. And second question, you can slide into that when you want to, is uh, why did you pick this particular album? All right. I think I found Southside the way most people outside of New Jersey bump into Southside. Uh, I was very young and a huge Springsteen fan, and I met another huge Springsteen fan, and we were the only two that we knew 
in Texas back then. And he said, if you like Springsteen, you ought to listen to Southside Johnny. I got a buddy from New Jersey who says he listens to Southside Johnny more than he listens to Springsteen. I thought, no way, no way. And so I listened to Southside, and I go, well, that's good, but it's not Springsteen. But as I got older, um, some of the anthem, uh, some of the breaking away that Springsteen talks about is less relevant to me now than it was then. And I find myself listening to Southside Johnny a lot more than, than I do to Springsteen. Um, why did I pick them for tonight? Well, what do I usually say? Where does this come from? Tonight, I'm not going to say that. Because <laughs> this comes from Daddy Stacks and Mama Motown. And there's no mystery about the origins of this kind of music. There's a third element that I'm going to talk about later. But if, if you hear this... You are definitely going to hear some familiar things. And uh, we're going to be talking. It, this album is going to be a lot like last week with Emmylou Harris. This is another collaboration between a voice and a producer, just like Emmylou Harris was. Um, the collaboration is between uh, Southside Johnny and Little Steven, Miami Steve, Steve Van Zandt, whichever name you want to use for him. Six of these songs are his songs. He is a brilliant songwriter. And his one, one of the most liberating things that ever happened to me in my life is when I heard Little Steven say that his goal was to write pop songs. He says, pop songs are the hardest thing in the world to write and they're the most satisfying thing to write. And after all my years of going, oh, you got to be so deep. I'm, uh, you need to do a 16-minute song that takes up a whole side of an up. It was so liberating to hear little Stephen do that. And he, if he had lived in the 60s and had been writing for Motown, uh, I, I think he would be famous for all of these tunes he put out. But for some reason, these extremely attractive and very accessible songs never became big hits. Even though I think Southside Johnny has an amazing voice, and uh, this band just tears it up. It's there's so much energy here. I really can't tell anyone why this is um, why this didn't become a bigger deal. But no, this is not the usual Doug Cooper. Where did this come from? This is this is in the complete mainstream of american music coming out of stacks and motown well um I, and atlanta i um i i found or in doing research here i've uh found a quote um by little steven that i thought was kind of interesting he's talking about um the rascals little the you know the band the rascals uh -huh. and uh and and they were the first band that all of them were aware of that mel men melded soul and blues and rock and roll you know, they were kind of one of the forerunners of the Blue Eyed Soul stuff. One, two, three. He said, uh, 
He goes, yeah, they were the rock version of soul music, and they made an impact on everybody. Um, but he said, they, this is the interesting part, he says they weren't the literal interpretation of that because they needed horns. Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes is a literal interpretation of that. So <laughs> I just I, found I tell that you, If you don't like horns in yeah, your music, uh, turn, off, turn this off right well, now. I, yeah. I, I'm going to put a caveat on that, okay? And just say um, I listened uh, late in the research to the first two albums that came before the one we're talking about. This is Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes' third album. Um, they put out, uh, we can get in a little bit of history, but they put out two albums before this, and they are significantly different than this. And while this is a, a horn-heavy album, it's not the same kind of horns that those first two albums have. This album was, uh, I, I liked it instantly when I put it on. Like I heard that first song, and I liked it instantly. Listening to the first two albums, I did not feel that way. So while it while I agree with you that if you don't like horns, but I think it's it's I think give it a shot because they're not they're such an integral part of the sound without being overbearingly so. If that makes any sense? It does. And and what you you I mentioned the third element after Stax and Motown, and that third element that really takes over on this album is Little Steven. He is like a missionary. He's dead serious. He's like an apostle. He's like a disciple <laughs> of, of a soul. I'm serious as hell about this. I, that, that's the best concert I ever saw was on 6th Street in Austin, Texas. Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul. It was when he finally came out and said, I'm going to do my own deal. They all walked out there in black trench. I guess you'd call them dusters in Texas, but they probably have raincoats in New Jersey. I don't know what they call them or, <laughs> or trench coats or something. They all walked out there with black trench coats with Disciples of Soul on the back, and they were on a mission, and their mission was to say, this is the greatest music in the whole world. Everyone needs to take it very seriously, and we are on a mission. And what happens is, what makes this different than um, Stax or Motown is that seriousness and this edge and a little bit of anger. We're going to have some guitar solos on this album that are angry guitar solos. And uh, that's the thing that sets this album apart from the first two. There's no, hey, Mr. Popeye, or no, uh, sweeter than honey, and all of that. uh, But on a superficial level, because I'm a superficial guy, um, it's just the thing that's to me sets it apart outside of getting, digging into that kind of elements is it just, it's, um, instantly more rock and roll. Oh, it is. Um, yeah, it's got those guitars are distorted. They've got those, uh, the solos are piercing. It's a, uh, very different. It, it, the guitars make this a set this album. And apart. even it, it, when he slows down, it's, 
it's very serious. Uh, it's, it's about breaking up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's still but, saying baby every other no, word. No, yeah. But, and, um, but it's also it's also a rock and roll of a uh, of a particular period or time. It's that it's that early '60s, and we've talked about it before. That sort of pre-British invasion American rock and roll that was steeped to a certain extent in blues. Not to the extent that this stuff is, but was. And you can hear on this album some of those songs that sound like like they'd be perfectly at home with someone like, you know, some one of those bands from the 60s uh, doing this stuff. You know, I was thinking about this and uh, I thought about the first two albums sounded more like typical uh, Temptations. Yeah, exactly. But then I thought this album is like the Temptations when they did War. Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration, activation, humiliation, obligation to my nation. That's what the world is today. Yeah. It it has that edge to it. We're like, hey, we're not playing. We're not we're not up here to make you smile. Uh, there's a little bit of that in here. And I don't mean to make this sound, album sound a uh, grave or anything it's not that way but it has that little steven intensity which i think is hilarious because when i saw when i first saw him it was the most intense show it was like he was fighting for his life out there like he says in the song fighting for my life on the in the spotlight and then if you will watch him now that he's 70 yeah i guess he's yeah he's 70 70 years old right now he's out there just having the time of his life saying, hey, you, hey, look at this guy. It's so different now. authentic and uh but this this is different than the first two and there's nothing that's really very much like this until little steven comes back much later and does better days with Southside again which is another wonderful album And one other thing, um, J.M., that we need to remember is uh, tonight we got to refer to Tony as T. <laughs> yeah, he's not really known as a, as a songwriter. He uh, is his, you know, his daytime gig is a member of the E Street Band, um, and he has, uh, you know, he's got he's made kind of a name for himself there as a second guitarist and as a uh, arranger. He did a lot of the horn arrangements for Springsteen. But, uh, yeah, so he's also gone on to fame as an actor. If anybody ever looked like a gangster, I think it would be little, little Steven. And his name, uh, he was on the program, a very successful program on HBO called The Sopranos. And he played Silvio Dante which was the concierge. Um, 
he had a very nice uh, wig that he wore during the entire program. And then from that, he went on to his own series called Lilyhammer. And then I believe he had a short uh, part in uh, Scorsese's Irishman. So he's been typecasted in the... Uh, as they, as in, all in those movie. guys are, right? Yep. But yeah. that's all right. I'm, I'm sure he doesn't want um, all the money. So we're just beginning to talk about some of his achievements. Uh, great songwriter, great arranger, uh, all of the acting. And he also has the best radio station in the entire world called Little Stevens Underground Garage. El Sug. That's what they call it, El Sug. <laughs> it may just be called Underground Garage now. I lost it in my uh, XM favorites because they changed the name of it. He's got a he's got wicked cool records where he produces the people he he finds to work with, and uh, he came to prominence fighting apartheid in South Africa when he came up with a song called Sun City. Pledging, getting everyone to pledge not to play Sun City until apartheid went away. And uh, we visited that once before when we were talking about Mr. Paul Simon and Graceland. Well, and uh, I, I have a special affinity for him because he typically, when he's talking about his greatest songs in the world on his uh, radio station, they're almost always power pop songs. <laughs> so <laughs> I, yeah. I have to, just because I'm not a humble person like our producer... I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I mentioned at the beginning in the introduction that uh, Southside Johnny is considered the godfather of New Jersey sound, which may surprise some people who aren't familiar with him. Uh, you know, you think of a New Jersey and who do you think of? You think of Springsteen. So I thought it'd be, it's, you know, part of the story we need to talk about kind of why he's considered that and where that came from. He's from Ocean Side, Ocean, Ocean Side. Grove. Ocean yeah. Grove. Yeah. He's from Ocean. He's born in Neptune, which is cool. But <laughs> he grew up in Ocean Grove. It's Springsteen grew up in Freehold, and Little Stephen grew up somewhere else. But they all were within a bike ride's distance from uh, Asbury, Park, Asbury Park. Park, where it was all going down. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about Asbury Park before and on the uh, Springsteen podcast, but there was a place there called the Stone Pony, and it's still uh, going today as far as I know. And that's where Springsteen and uh, Little Steven and Southside Johnny, they, there was no distinction. There wasn't necessarily an E Street band back then. There wasn't. There was... Uh, just various groups, and they all kind of uh, played together. And uh, so if you kind of look at the lineup of bands, you would recognize members of the E Street Band. You'd recognize members of Little Stevens Band, uh, maybe in the same band, you know. But um, they all kind of uh, cannibalized each other for band members. Well, I think you need to go a little bit earlier than, uh, than the Stone Pony. There was a club called the Upstage Club, yeah. which was where they actually all hung out when they were underage because it was open till five o'clock in the morning and they played live music and they did uh, serve booze. So kids could go in there. Yeah. There was no alcohol. Kids could go in there and that's where they all kind of started hanging out. Um, you know, he, he come, he came from an interesting family. His dad was a jazz bassist 
in a local but, band. Uh, despite the fact that he was a bassist, he was talented. <laughs> yeah, musician. but he didn't make any money off it, so he's also a mailman. Which, oddly enough, his son Southside was also a mailman That's for right. a little while. Yeah. He was the, I, I watched this documentary. I'll talk about later. But he he talks about going to the um, going to the upstage in his. Uh, in his mailman's shirt and just hanging out after work. He was, Which Springsteen had a nickname for, he said he was a little working. Oh man yeah. Yeah. Little, like little, that. little man or something like that. <laughs> if Springsteen with his nicknames, we'll get to that too. But, um, but, uh, his, his parents listened to, listened to a lot of blues and in particular jump blues, which uh, is you know like Count Basie, Big Joe Turner. It's this uh, Count Basie's another New Jersey boy. Yeah. We've talked about this before. It's a sort of. Uh, uh, call and response stuff it's it's got a real sort of swagger beat to it you'd know it if you heard it but um you know big honking saxophones and uh it's uh it's big band music but played with an attitude and his parents listened to that and he grew up listening to it and he thought he thought that was normal he thought that's what all kids (laughs) listened to was that stuff he didn't realize that was an odd thing to and every time I've seen him interviewed, he talks about them listening to it loud. Oh yeah, he said he hated school, and he would. Uh, he, what he would do is he would either talk his mom into staying home, or he'd act like he's sick, and then he'd like work around the house and play that stuff all day long. And then he would also hang out on the on the boardwalk and play the harmonica. Uh, and people would notice him from that. He's a pretty, uh, he's a, I guess he's we'll, a fine harmonica we'll call player. it the harp tonight. Yeah. Cause that's what they, they call it. But yeah, the upstage club was where all those guys kind of hung out. And, um, and he's, you know, he was, he said that he was, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a guitar player, but this is a time period when this was a big, you know, big guitar hero stuff. So he's like, you know, these guys would have bands where they'd play these songs. There'd be two verses in a 20 minute guitar solo and they were all looking for singers, and he was hanging around. So he sang in all these bands, and had and it was he called it his college because he had to learn a whole slew of different songs and musical styles. And I guess all the other guys playing with it too did that as well. But out out of that uh, out of that group, uh, they formed their first uh, their first kind of collaboration, which was the Sundance Blues Band. Um, with Southside as kind of the de facto leader because he was the lead singer, but fans, little Steven was in it. Gary Talent, who is bass player for the E Street Band, right? Vinny Lopez was also in that band, former drummer for the E Street Band, right? Madman drummers, yeah. And then this uh, rhythm guitarist by a guy, a guy by the name of Joe Hagstrom. Um, yep, don't know where he went. <laughs> well, he left. Uh, he he. They started in April of, of seventy one. By May of seventy one, Hagstrom had left and was replaced by this this promising young guitarist by the name of Bruce Springsteen. Who was playing. and Hagstrom went on to change his name to John Denver. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. But but what's what's kind of going back to an old episode when we we're talking about the the uh, while the innocent East Street shuffle. So Springsteen comes on. He's not with them for very long, but he's a full-fledged member for about a month and a half. He leaves, and then David Sanctious takes over his guitar for, for him as well for the uh, for that band. Um, and here's the important thing about that band. Southside said they played several sets a night 
at the Upstage Club, and he played with different bands as well, four or five nights a week. Um, and he started realizing he could do this for a living and take it serious. He started taking it seriously. But this goes back to that. Um, I forget the guy who talks about 10,000 hours, you know, I mean, this Malcolm, is uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. This is Cecilia Nasty tonight. We have Malcolm Gladwell to make um, you all feel good about finishing a book. But, uh, I mean, I, I think this was the, all these guys were doing that. They weren't, you know, they were just sitting around and they were playing in p- p- pickup bands and stuff. Um, but they were putting those hours in and uh, Southside Johnny, um, Little Steven, and Bruce Springsteen were years and years in these clubs yeah. before anybody was talking about recording them. They were in this incubator and not in New York where the people who had the power to do something about it were. And uh, I think it paid off for them. Well, and then Springsteen started a band called Steel, Steel Mill. Mill. No, before that. Oh, oh what was that? Dr. Allison. Zoom. Oh. Way the, before that. And the Sonic Boom. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and uh, Southside Johnny was a part of that. And the reason that is important to the story is because that's where he got his nickname. Surprise, surprise, Springsteen was putting <laughs> nicknames on people. And he called Southside Johnny. You guys know. You could talk about why he was named Southside Johnny. I have no idea why he was named Southside Johnny. Because he's the only one that could sing the blues like on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It was because of that. Um, Which is really I think that's a stupid reason. <laughs> well, you're looking for a nickname. Where does Miami come from? Miami Steve Van Zandt. So. Well, there's two stories. One, I've read both of them in books. One was he was always wearing Hawaiian shirts, even in the wintertime. Ah. That's one. And the other was he was always cold. And <laughs> they said, you belong, in, <laughs> you belong in Miami. So... One of these days, I'm going to be able to ask him. <laughs> yeah. But then in 72, Springsteen went and formed uh, Steel Mill and uh, moved to Richmond. And uh, he talked Southside Johnny into going down there with him and hanging out in Richmond, Virginia. There was a... Uh, there was a weird connection. They, they weren't playing in New York. They weren't playing Philadelphia very much. But they were going to Richmond. And and, play, in Springsteen's biography, they talk about that. And I've seen yeah. all these interviews with Southside saying, yeah, we'd go to Richmond. Well, he, he joined a band down there called Studio B or something like <laughs> yeah. that. He met his, I think he met his wife down there. Uh, the story <laughs> is he was on stage performing, and, and he looked down, and Bruce Springsteen was playing pool with some girl, woman. And he got off the stage, and he, he they got introduced, and he ended up taking her back to Jersey when he moved back to Jersey three years later. Yeah. But when he goes back and he's get, that's when he hooks back up with little little Steven and uh, and they start performing as a duo. Did you guys know that? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, Southside Johnny and the Kid. <laughs> Another name. Yeah, and, and then finally he joins uh, a band called the the Blackberry Booze Band, and he starts inviting all these musicians that he knows and likes to get into this band. He adds a horn section, and that band ends up just becoming the, the Miami the Jukes. Oh, yeah, it's very Jukes. Yeah, and, and the uh, he went to high school with two East Streeters. That's and uh, Benny Lopez and uh, uh, Gary Talent. Right. Both both went to uh, high school with him, <laughs> which it's really. The way these guys go so far back and the way they've all stuck together over these years, it's, it's strange to think. Well, I guess that's just like you and me, Jim. 
Yeah, I'm, so, I'm the odd man out in this relationship. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you'd be Patty. Yes, I'm Patty. Exactly. But you know the the funny the, the amazing yeah exactly there I am. The amazing thing was uh, when the Jukes were playing at the Stone Pony, they got so popular they were playing in front of a couple of thousand people on the weekends. I mean that's amazing. Yeah. What's you know? There's so much energy in that music. I can't imagine anybody could walk by the door and not. Want to go well, in? Well, Little Steven yeah. claims that they reinvented what a bar band was supposed to sound like because bar bands up to that point were cover bands. They weren't playing original right. stuff and yeah. they weren't really doing anything that dramatic. And then Southside Johnny and the Ju- Asbury Jukes came along and became the bar band. <laughs> well, they they still are. They they don't play. That's a sad thing about this whole story is yeah, they're they still playing play at the same size joints, but. Um, it's yeah. it's such a tragedy that they're not out there. Of course, now that they're on our podcast, everybody in the world will know about them. They'll <laughs> they'll probably be in the top twenty, right next to uh, uh, Carly B. Ca- yeah, Carly B. or Megan the Stallion. <clears throat> Who? <laughs> you need to get with it, man. Yeah, You're yeah, supposed right. to be our connection to young people. T. Do you guys know uh, how many people have been in this band, Asbury Jukes? Over the years, uh, I saw the list and I wasn't. Um, I'm not the kind of guy that counts that well, much. I just saw in an interview, he oh. someone asked him and he said, uh, over 130 people have been in this band. Wow. Most it's mostly horn players because his yeah. horn sections get they get taken they get by bigger other people, and smaller. Well, they also and, yeah. get people take them, yeah, from yeah. Them. So, I guess La Bamba has been there a whole but he's been there a long time, but he's yeah. had, of course, many other projects. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember when I saw Lil Steven, when he started touring with uh, the Disciples of Soul, he took all that horn section with him. Yeah. So how how did this guy, I mean, I know he's playing in front of 2,000 people at, on, on the Jersey Shore, but how, how did this guy catch the attention of the record labels? That's a really good question. I I would guess it's thanks to Springsteen's success. They went down looking for. Uh, I've, I've heard Southside in interviews say, after uh, Born to Run, they came, <laughs> those guys they came decided around. to drive an hour and a half to find out what was going on. Uh, well, it makes sense for in terms of the timing of the debut album, which was what seventy six. That's right. Yeah. yeah. First album was. Um, I don't want to go home, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that featured uh some of y'all probably have heard the fever. That that may be his best known song. Yeah, it's a, was... a song written by Springsteen, and uh, Springsteen wisely let Southside do it, and yeah, it became Southside. He just nails it. Uh, the boss does a good job on it, but, but yeah, but he doesn't you do can't it. touch what Southside does. Uh, with yeah, it. I, I will say the songs I'm familiar with that Southside Johnny does that are Springsteen songs that Springsteen does. I prefer the Southside Johnny versions of every one of them that I heard. Yeah, and, and I think that's a credit to Springsteen when he right. I mean, the guy that's so pro- prolific, he goes, "Oh yeah, this is a Southside song. I can tell." Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so he didn't pull a Ramones thing where he wrote a song for the Ramones and then kept it for himself. <laughs> I never heard his response to that. <laughs> I would be very interested. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing about Southside is he's got a remarkable voice, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's soulful, but it's not gritty. I mean, he doesn't sound in it. It's not, he can't really croon like a, a Sam Cooke or, uh, you know, he doesn't have the, the, histrionics of somebody like an Otis Redding or a Wilson Pickett or, or, or somebody like that, but there's still, I mean, he never really does anything remarkable with his voice, but still the way that he just, uh, carries a tune and the way that he, uh, his phrasing is just, there's something remarkable. really heartfelt and honest about yeah. it. Yeah. And I remember listening to this Brit who heard him, who was almost unable to speak about his voice, how, how uh, he got drawn into this voice. And I think uh, JM is right on. You can't say, oh, this is Wilson Pickett. Or, he's, not, he's not doing anything remarkable, but the yeah. whole complete picture of what he does by the... The way he fits. The, it's, it's, yeah, and I know he's very conscious about it. If you ever see an interview of him, he will almost always talk about Billie Holiday and her phrasing and how he is just completely captivated that by was, her. Well, that's who he would play to these guys when they were hanging out. He always leaned heavily on playing her. I, I, you, I think you said something, Doug, that makes sense to me in, in the fact that I've watched a lot of interviews with him over the last week or so. Um, when you said there's something genuine about it, he just seems like a genuine guy. There's not an ounce of pretension in this yeah, guy, and I yeah. think that comes through in his vocal performances as well. It's just very, very real and genuine. Yeah, if you want to, uh, I think a really good example of that is uh, there was an interview that he did with uh, Springsteen on his podcast. I think is on the Springsteen channel. Yeah, the Springsteen channel on XM. It's on XM. wonderful. With Lil Stevens in there too. Yeah, and it's you, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I I, I I would seek that out, especially for UXM listeners. It's uh, it's really interesting. They play a lot of the songs that they wrote together and sung, sing together, and they just talk a lot about the old days of the Stone Pony and how they all kind of got their start. And uh, highly recommend that. It, but if you just, it's a good example of just how humble a guy, uh, little uh, Southside is. So JM, I'm curious. Um, How'd you find out? When did you start listening to Southside? <laughs> uh, I, part of it was Doug, I got to admit, but the, my first exposure to Southside Johnny was on uh, SCTV. That, that channel. It was a uh, uh, it was a comedy, a sketch comedy show that came on on Friday nights out of Toronto. Yeah, out of all Toronto. that Canadian show where yeah. he's like yeah. playing at a wedding. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, we're here for a very special evening tonight, a very romantic evening. Bunny and Cole got married today. They more or less had to, but we won't pass any moral judgments on what they've done in the past or what they're going to do in the future. Who knows what? We're going to do a song that commemorates the evening that got them together. I would say it was about six, maybe six and a half months ago. This is a song called The Fever. Yeah, he's playing at a wedding. They're, they're they're the wedding band, and I just remember just 
that show, I discovered a lot of people. I discovered the Plasmatics. I discovered uh, Boomtown Rats. And I just remember seeing Southside Johnny and just being blown away by that. They, the, uh, they do the first song on this album, Hearts of Stone. Not the song Hearts of Stone, but the first album, the first, first song. song on this. And it's just, I just immediately going, wow, this is pretty amazing stuff. And then, you know, Doug and I were at camp together and I saw that Doug had Southside albums and I went, hey, that's uh, pretty neat. Well, I, I, I knew of him because I had a friend in uh, fresh my freshman year in in high school, I became friends with a guy who had moved to Texas, moved to Fort Worth from New Jersey. And uh, he was a, obviously a huge Springsteen fan. I think that's part of uh, part of your, your birthright there, right? You got to be, you got to be, yeah. it's like being not, it's like being a Texan. He, and not being he's a, a, he's a Pandora. Fan. Springsteen is a Pandora's box. Yeah. yeah. And so, but he also listened to Southside Johnny, but I don't ever recall listening to Southside Johnny with him. He and I were the, our, our, point of interest where we intersected was we were both metalheads so we listened to a lot of <laughs> early maiden together <laughs> um but yeah the uh, the first two albums have some guests on them the first album has ronnie specter and lee dorsey the second album has the coasters and the drifters five wow. satins they both have songs written by Lil steven and bruce springsteen but then this third album comes along. Um, the last album on Epic, because oddly enough, Epic, I guess it didn't sell, but Epic drops them yeah, after it, this. Southside busted his hand, and Epic, uh, he delayed the tour, and then Epic just didn't give a damn about the tour. And uh, he, I mean, it, Southside's been screwed by record companies over and over and over again. Well, it's, it's a shame because... Before I did some, I said this earlier to you, Doug, before I did some digging as to when this album came out. So it's a little late for what I was going to say before I dug it. But when when I, when I first put it on listen to it, I was like, okay, this is a band very close to New York playing this amazing rock and roll. And I thought, what the hell were the Ramones complaining about because <laughs> because this is this is as, almost as pure d rock and roll i mean yeah. i thought well is it is it the musicianship because that's obviously apparent that these guys know what the hell they're doing around an instrument right <laughs> i couldn't figure it out but then i realized it was 78 when it came out so it's a little late for the ramones but uh yeah i mean maybe he, they were aware i i don't know how i mean there's probably separate like separate being on separate planets but yeah this is uh this is so far away from the kind of stuff that was big oh, at yeah. the time. I mean, think about it. It's like um, Ann Murray was big at the time. Uh, the Carpenters. Well, the, <laughs> these guys sound like they never heard of disco or anything Thank electronic. God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's not an electronic. Well, later there is, but nothing. But, on, yeah. Well, why don't we, if you guys are ready, why don't we get into the yeah. album? But right. I, 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 I do because because something JM said when he said that they that when he was watching SCTV and they played that first song, "Got to Be a Better Way Home." cow what a way to open yep it's got that great uh frenetic drum part that starts it off and then you have that just 
and that guitar part that tells you instantly that this is not going to be a coasters album this isn't going to be wilson pickett or Otis Redding, that guitar part alone, just the way that it sounds, is is I, it's rock and roll. This is so Van Zant because <laughs> yeah, it's got all the elements of the. It's it's what I started out with. It has all the elements of uh, Stax and Motown, but then it's got this edge, this cocky, uh, screw you, I'm in your face, I'm tired mm-hmm. of smiling at lies. Uh, he uses some profanity that we will not repeat on this broadcast. <laughs> I think y'all know that we are held up as an example by uh, um, the uh, Liberty University. Li- oh, that's right. Liberty, <laughs> and also um, uh, focus on the family. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but th- this is this is absolutely wonderful. And I'm gonna, I'm going to share something tonight. Um, they'll probably be helpful for a lot of people. We are constantly getting email asking. What do I do to stay in shape? And um, <laughs> why is that funny? Um, what shape is that? Pear? <laughs> I think this is highly offensive. Um, and this is my workout album. If I go to the gym, this is my number one album. And if you hear this song, you'll understand why. Well, but yeah. I, I get the I get the importance of talking about stacks and all that stuff. But this song is so just at its core a rock and roll it is. song it is and i think um, that's what separates this album from, from the other two and from other rhythm and blues things yeah, yeah it is it is and it's um and, and i know you you touched upon the fact that there's some sort of uh <laughs> darkness on the edge around this stuff <laughs> uh, but it uh this is it's fun as hell. Too. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, just a, <laughs> it's that, all energy. That's yeah, why. That's, that's why I take it to the gym. It's, a, it's so much yeah, energy. That's a perfect description. It is. It is a blast I mean, of it, energy. It, yeah, you could say it's fun because it is a blast to listen to. But yeah, the the thing is just the the energy that comes from this these guys. And this is a perfect example of what makes Southside Johnny so good. And this is a Steve Van Zant song. So, you know, one of the one things we didn't do, which we normally do, if we can just take a break real quick, is talk about the guys on this album um, who are playing on this album, the musicians. Because as we said, there have been 130 different people in this band. It's probably worth talking about well, who's yeah, on the, this one. The drummer on this band it is Max Weinberg of the E Street Band. Um, this, was, this was soon after he had joined uh, the... Uh, Soon after he had joined the E Street Band, and so I think the first album where Max Meinberg was a full-on member of the E Street Band was probably uh, Born to Run, but the album, the first album that he played all the drums on was uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. This album was made just before Darkness on the Edge of Town came out, or was released right before Darkness on the Edge of Town came out. And... uh, yeah, the drumming's amazing on it. The 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 musicians on this band are are, are really good. You've got uh, Billy Rush, who uh, stayed with Steve Van Zant for uh, several albums and left for a little while, and then he came back. Um, then you got a guy named Kevin Cavanaugh on keyboards, uh, playing a lot. He he does some really cool stuff on the organ, really cool stuff on the piano. Um, and then he does uh, later on. He does some really cool stuff with the Fender Rhodes. What what uh, this album stands out compared to some of the others in the absence of one uh, instrument? Does do y'all uh, 
Does it occur to y'all what's missing? No Mellotron. <laughs> uh, oh, the, ones, the other ones we, we finally, talked about. We finally to got to an that, album yeah. without a Mellotron. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what you would do if you put one in this album. <laughs> so anyway, there, one of the things I, I also have in my notes about this, it, the horn section is not a wimpy horn section. No. It is a, it's a five-piece horn section, and uh, that's... Yeah, I've seen bigger horn sections. I mean, it's not a big band horn section, but it is a full-on, half the members of this band is the horn section. And they even have a baritone sax in it, so it, the, the sound is so full. There's trombones, there's trumpets. Uh, so you're getting like a five-piece uh, and five-harmony. Arranging for these horns must not have been easy. Well, and that may have something to do with the tightness of it, too, the fact yeah. that it's not some giant horn section. It's just the right amount of guys to make this thing pop the way it needs to. Yeah. You know? But You're going to wonder why everybody doesn't put horns on their album after you listen <laughs> well, to this. <laughs> again, I'm, I'm, I come from a different sort of, uh, I don't know, what do you want to say, a sensibility than you guys do. Yeah. So I, I am likely good. I would likely be one of these guys that says, uh, you know, that it's too much horns. This yeah. isn't my. This isn't my thing. I don't feel that way about this. Well, I mean, it's because it's not. I hate to say. It, I mean, it's weird to say this, but there's kind of a subtlety to it. I mean, think about uh, Tower of Power or Chicago. Just what they all the the way that the horns are used in that and. Um, Oh, well, this the, guitar, the guitar doesn't give any ground to the horns. That's another right. thing that's happening yeah. here. But the horns do add a, le- a layer to oh, the yeah. song. I mean, they're yeah. there, and without them, the song would be the same. But they're not the novelty. Same, but they're I not, think it's yeah. the, what is well, it some of what Chicago does, where the horns are the, like tripping about the pasture or something. I know yeah. it's a horrible description, but they're, yeah. it becomes about them. It's, and these are horns that are like guys pushing up the song and yeah. holding up yeah, the song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's the what's the album I'm thinking of that Al Cooper produced? Uh, what blood sweat and tears? Up? Yeah, yeah, blood, blood sweat, sweat and tears. tears. It, it, you're not going to get those sophisticated horn parts where you know everybody's playing like 14 different horns. And it's, I already said, if you, if you like the horns on, uh, um, born to run with, uh, a 10th Avenue freeze out, that's basically what you get in it. Yeah. yeah. They're, their walls helping support the song. Well, and and I, I think it's worth mentioning something you said before we started recording, Doug, that someone said to Southside or somebody about horn bands at this point in his career. <laughs> yeah. When the first album came out, it said. Billboard magazine had an article one week before the album was released that horn horn bands are dead. Yeah, I'm sure he loved seeing <laughs> and you, that. You, <laughs> and Chicago just instantly melted. Just deceased. But the, yeah, yeah, it's the, all of Southside's life has been that way. Is like he was the most talented guy not to get any album sold. It's yeah. All right. Um, so the next track on this album is. This time, baby's gone for good. Yeah, 
this may be, I don't know, it's, it's in my top five Southside Johnny songs. And I, I, to me, it just sounds like a, uh, a rougher edge version of something that Phil Spector would. Oh yeah. Use. No, it definitely feels like that. Yeah. Uh, uh it's fantastic. It just feels like some, like it like, like the sixties opened up and said, "Here's this thing that yeah. we we yeah. forgot about, uh, but you a can lot. have it in 1978." Yeah, it's like the Shondells or the Chiffons, like yeah. Sing, sing. yeah but it it, at the same time, you got this. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the song "Darkness on the Edge of Town." Yeah. It's just the that boom, 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 and yeah. this guy's just devastated. And um, but that, that's all, that's almost where I hear the chiffons or something yeah. coming in going, the, well, right before the my boyfriend's back or the all, leader all of the these, pack or something yeah, yeah. yeah. leader of the leader pack, of the pack yeah. you know That's little 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 steven makes me think you you're writing songs for 20 years ago all all the time he makes <laughs> me think that and I'm, i just can't believe that if somebody else had done that back in the 60s it would have been a hit yeah yeah, yeah. that's a great song uh, it's one of, yeah like i said it's one of my favorite Southside song. It, it took it took me a long time to realize what a great song that is, and his voice is just perfect. For it me. is. It oh, is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And something JM said earlier about Little Steven not being known as a songwriter. Uh, I was one, probably one of those people that never thought of him as one. But after listening to this album, it seems criminal that people don't know, don't aren't aware of that a little bit <laughs> he's more. So, if you just look at how much he's written for Southside, he's, he's when he's written so many songs for people we don't even know about, or yeah. these albums he produces with Wicked Cool Records. Yeah, and one last thing I want to say about this song is just that breakdown where he says that baby oh at the bridge oh god it, yeah. it's, the whole thing slows down yeah, and he just yeah. lays it out. And then when the when the court when the verse comes back, it's yeah. so powerful, so powerful. And uh, I, I'm glad you cut that because I, I feel yeah. the same way. Well, I, I remember a long time after I'd been listening to this album for years, this song finally clicked, clicked in my head, and I couldn't drive to work without listening to it. I, I'm always just stuck on it for I couldn't get it out of my head. Which yeah. we've talked about that song. Well, it's funny too because uh, I was going to bring up something you mentioned when we were talking about that song, which is the idea. I think you, I think you brought this up: the idea of of the journey a bridge takes you on, and whether or not it's worth worth it coming back. And you just mentioned on this song, it in particular, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. It sets up the comeback. Okay, so now we move on to song number three. I played the fool. the uh drums come in at the beginning um and i love that bass line it's, it's another great uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a good bass workout yeah. so you mentioned max weinberg a little bit earlier i could not read anything about this album where people didn't talk about how great his drumming is on this album oh, yeah. and how much it it kind of lays a foundation in a way that just really <laughs> well I, I remember i was listening to it i listen to it for the first time we were talking about we were going to do this podcast and i guess like six months or so and um 
I just was I forgot that it was Max Weinberg playing the drums, and I just was going, man, the drums on this are incredible. And uh, yeah, the, the drumming is just the and the the rhythm section in general yeah. is is fantastic. Even and you know the rhythm section does include the rhythm guitar, and that's uh, little Steven playing most of that stuff. Uh, one thing about little Steven that we forgot to say is. Uh, he and uh, Southside are singing in tandem. Yeah, uh, almost the whole album. I mean, Southside's out in the front, and Little Steven's behind him. And I don't know why, but Little Steven sounds fantastic backing up Southside. And it it may be just because I like this album so much, and I'm so used to it. But I think it's more than that. I I think there's something about how different the two voices are yeah, that really I think makes that... it work. Uh, I think that little Steven's got a grittier voice or something. And, and, and there's, it, it's, it's a little higher and yeah. Well, but we've talked, we've talked about that before about yeah. that. You get two vo- vocalists that are slightly different. You know, Lennon McCartney, when I recommended, uh, um, blue rodeo is the same way, but yeah. when there's, there's magic that happens when those two disparate voices blend together, they create yeah. something completely unique, you know, and it works. And and this one's got a signature. Uh, I play the fool has a signature. Little Stephen going, ah, 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 which he does throughout his career. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, the bass and the drums behind this just keep that nice rumbling kind of background going. Across, again, kind of a girl band sort of, you know. And all these thing. You know, uh, we were talking about uh, how different this is from Springsteen. Springsteen's lyrics seem very complex compared to these. And uh, this is much more soulful than what Springsteen does. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're both both very attractive. Yeah. Well, speaking of Springsteen, mm-hmm. uh, that's a nice segue <laughs> or segue, segue. Uh, uh, into the next song, which is the title track, Hearts of Stone. But don't worry, baby. Mr. Springsteen himself. Okay, this is another one where if you hear Southside sing it versus the way that Springsteen it's, sings it, it's just hands down, Southside nailed it. He did. I'm going to say something that's probably not going to be very popular about the song, though. <laughs> I, um, I think, uh, I don't think the ballads work like the other songs do. This is a ballad. And and it's a good song. It's not a great song. I agree with JM. It's it's I think significantly better than the Springsteen version of it, yeah. um, which I think was recorded around the same time. It wasn't released till later, but it was recorded around the same time, yeah. I believe. And it's it's not it's not as anywhere near as good as this version of Did it is. Did we say what the name of the song was? Yeah, Hearts. I said title track, Hearts of Stone. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'll say it again, Hearts of Stone. Well, I mean, just because I don't hear it doesn't mean everybody else did. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I just maybe just had the title track, but. Uh, yeah, I, I was listening to this thinking it just doesn't sound it doesn't grab me the way the other songs do. And and I don't think it's I don't think it's the way he sings on it. It's just there's something missing that energy is missing. I know I know I, what I, it I, is. I, okay. 
and I hate to say this. I'm going to I'm going to say something bad about someone I really respect. Um I've heard this song played just on acoustic guitar and it's gorgeous. Yeah. But on this version there is a guitar lead that smothers everything else out and it's little Steven. Yeah. And he's playing too too loud and too hard for the ballad. Yeah. And it really hurts what what they're doing. If if I, I think about a little piano playing something soft in the yeah, background yeah. and take that that enormous lead that's it's too big for the song. It's it's like who's this guy that yeah, just it's a delicate <laughs> it's a delicate song. And uh you could have the, the horns the horns are pretty subtle on it. I and mean, there's there's parts when the song gets going, but I I think the way that it starts is jarring. Like we're listening to this nice ballad about And here comes people. a here comes this just uh, bending of, strings all <laughs> over the place and yeah. uh, I mean it's a fine solo but not in this context or, yeah. or bring it down there's just it's just too too much yeah. I've, I've been yeah. thinking about that all week and it's always it's it's a great song but it's maybe my least favorite song on the album it's yeah. my least it's favorite my song least favorite and song I think it's because of the production I, I think yeah, I, yeah I when I heard this thing with just an acoustic I guess it was three acoustic guitars. Oh, yeah. It was gorgeous. This is the last thing. The last chance. And Southside's voice is so perfect for it. Yeah, yeah I still think yeah. it's better than the Springsteen version. It's just not. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just not the best song on this. I album. mean, this could almost. You, I could see just Southside and a piano doing this. Yep. this song. I agree. And I hate to say that because. <laughs> yeah, I love Little Steven, but so sorry. when you do get to meet him and ask him where the name Little Little came from, he'll punch you in the nose for <laughs> knocking out his. Guitar. I did almost meet him in a record store, but I. Chickened out. I chickened out. I didn't want to go be an idiot. It's like, oh, I think you're the most wonderful thing in the world. Oh, God, you so. You should have done it. And plus, he has that intense look on his face walking yeah. around and leopard. He, yeah, he was, he, in, he was Sylvia. He was leopard that no, day. No, he wasn't that yet, but yeah. he was. That was still me thinking, man, that guy would be a good mobster. <laughs> Way. I mean, that was that was when his album, uh, Little Remember, uh, Little Sam and the Disciples of Soul came out in eighty whatever that was. Eighty four, eighty three. Yeah, I made everybody in in my cabin wear bandanas. Where, what like what record store did you see him in? I was out in California when I was working for that guy. He was, I was work, working for this guy, and he was playing at a record store. And there was a connection between the guy that found the guy that was playing and and the whole Springsteen crowd. So he came by to see what he was, and he walked up and goes, is he one of us? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Okay, uh, moving on to song number five. it inside okay all right it's another little steven tune and it is great i this is my favorite song 
It's my it, second favorite song it, on the album. It has this kind of cool garage rock sound, kind of thing going on to it. I don't know what it is, but I I dig this song tremendously. It's a monster. Yeah, it, and it just start, and the thing is, it just starts off with Southside's voice. The very try first. to understand. And then the whole band. Oh, comes so in. good. Uh, and and we were talking about why I'm in so good shape earlier. This is the best. <laughs> I tried to make this at the peak of the workout because uh-huh. there is so much energy in this song. And um, this is, again, this isn't happy. Um, uh-huh. This isn't happy Motown stuff. This is this is angry rock and roll. And there is, there is a guitar solo. The, the guitar solo comes in, and it's not just a guitar solo. It sounds, uh, it reminds me of those videos that you see on the Discovery Channel or something, where there's one lion and about five hyenas trying to kill the lion, and the lion is just going nuts and tearing everybody to bits. That's what that guitar solo sounds like. It yeah, is yeah. unbelievable. And uh, then there's, uh, the, like at the end of the the third course, the, everything clears out, and you get to hear this trumpet ascend yeah. uh on top of all the other horns, it's just incredible. Yeah. And and it's it's so ironic that little Steven's talking about taking it inside. There is no one who takes it inside less than Steven. <laughs> little Steven. He's, he's spewing his feelings out all over the place, all over the rest of the album. Yeah. But right here he says, oh, no, I'm taking it inside. <laughs> but I don't care. It's such a great song. Yeah. Is this the last song on the first side? It is. Yeah, it's a great way to close that side, too. Yeah. Fantastic, and and I, I don't understand the world that DJs could resist playing that song. Well, they had to have it in front of them first. That's true, and I don't know if that ever happened. Yeah, but especially if I mean, you know, I don't think the first two albums sold a whole lot. I think the critics liked them, but they didn't sell a whole lot. But as we've talked about many times on this podcast, it doesn't matter yeah. what the critics think. Well, this album has made critics. Top 100 consistently. Yeah. Now, people talk about this album as they, I mean, this is his masterpiece. This is the one they talk about as being the, if you're going to listen to any yeah. Southside Johnny album, this is the one you should listen to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, but again, as we said, that doesn't matter much if you're not getting airplay and you're not, you know, uh-huh. your record company drops you. There's no justice this side of heaven. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're going to flip the album over and get to the first song on the second side, which is a... Should be a hit. <laughs> Should be a hit. And uh, it... wham, wham, wham. This is another <laughs> Springsteen song, Talk to Me. song quite a bit uh, i think it's one of springsteen's better numbers that he's written for uh, south side and it's a lighter tune yeah. um you need a lighter tune after take it inside um yeah and i i really like the way that the the drums come in and you got those really cool interplay between the horns and the piano well, it's got I'm that love. amazing sax solo it's got it, that yeah. baritone sax yeah, coming in which baritone. is so perfect that's ed um Bennion. yeah um, yeah, it is. 
It's the highlight of the song, actually. The solo is the highlight of that. The, well, that, yeah. baritone sax solo. Yeah, I, just love, I love that sax solo. And, and I think um, going back to something that Doug said earlier, I, I think. I don't think any of these songs Springsteen had anything to do with were written specifically for Southside Johnny. He wrote them and then decided eh, these don't really fit what I'm doing, but they do. Well, I mean, fit. where we? I mean, it would be weird to think about him putting that on any with, with the darkness on the town. All of a sudden, talk to me. I mean, it just. Yeah. I mean, and the guy is prolific Springsteen. He said, right. "Oh, here's I, I can't use that." Yeah, yeah. What does he say? He, Springsteen says he writes. 30 songs and he'll pick 10 of them for the album or so it's just some it's, he just like yeah it's unbelievable that's just bragging it's just a <laughs> yeah, bragging it's not guy. bragging if you do it though <laughs> I mean, the guy's crazy i could write 30 yeah. songs you yeah. could but nobody would listen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right moving right along we got another ballad next to you This may be my favorite song in the it's album. Significantly better than the uh, ballad off the first side. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it, he nails this one. I think, um, and I love it's. It's a, another one where the horns and the guitar just meld together. And I think it's the, the most the word I use is, is soaring song on the album. It, it's just, yeah, I think this is one of Van Zant's best songs. This is one where South Southside's honest earnest uh singing style really pays off yeah um all right moving on to the next song trapped again so this is another song that springsteen had something to do with It's all three of them. This is uh, Southside, Springsteen, and Van Zant wrote this one. Yeah, maybe. I, I feel like this song's just a tad bit too busy. It is a busy song, and I kind of agreed with you. But boy, when I was listening to it this week, I was man, this is. I, I love this. I'll put a caveat. There's not anything on this album. I. I'm like, ugh, you know, that I've hit skip. I mean, there are other songs I there are songs I enjoy less than other ones, but there's not anything on here I would go. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to well, skip, you know, skip, skip. But this this just seems, you know, in terms of what we do here when we talk about stuff. When the song came up, I was like, okay, it didn't grab me the same way. What is it? It just sounds like there's just too much going on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, you know, Springsteen has a song called Trapped, and ah. I don't know if this. <laughs> I've always assumed this was um, related to that song, but I can't. I uh, can't remember when that song came out. He never put it on a studio album. It's just something that shows up on the live. Play play together again. Again, this big uh, five album. uh, Yeah, live deal. Yeah, it's it's amazing. We don't have any way to find out when Trapped was written. (laughs) No way whatsoever at our fingertips. (laughs) It's odd that this was written by Southside Springsteen and. 
little Steven, uh, because I think this is probably the most little Steven solo sounding. Like I could imagine little Steven putting this out on his own album. And I think one of the reasons is he, his vocals are so prominent uh, on this, um, in the, the, I guess he's, it's almost a co-lead vocal that he does, but it's a, a really great harmony. All right, so we're coming to the last song, and and before we get into it, I will say uh, this is a this thirty-seven minute album. It's a short it's album. A short it's album. Way short, and there's so many songs that were available yeah. that are fantastic, and they didn't put them <laughs> on this album. On I don't understand that. That's, this album needs a, a reissued treatment. You know, uh, it does. But it never got enough attention the first yeah. time. <laughs> well, well, that's what we're here for. I, well, I mean, now, it, now it'll be huge. <laughs> no, my point is that there's lots of albums that have gotten less attention than this that get special reissue treatments and stuff. Why well, not do it? It, it yeah. needs special attention. You need to talk yeah. to uh, little Steven. Well, it has been remastered, which is good. Oh, well, they pushed a button. <laughs> That's what we do, right? Yeah. Done with the podcast. We what's our, what's our master? Ma- what magic, magic mastery. Magic mastering. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Buzzspout. <laughs> so, if you're if out. you're thinking about torturing yourself with your very own podcast, we recommend Buzzsprout. <laughs> now they're <laughs> doing a good, great way good to, job. They if you're running out of ways to uh, spend your money and time. <laughs> Anyway, so getting getting to the last final song in the album, Light Don't Shine. Something inside Another ballad, another state, little Stephen tune, and it's great. Uh, I love. It starts off with this twelve-string guitar, acoustic guitar, um, and then the piano comes in doing the same thing. Yeah, it's just great. You know, to me, this song sounds like it's not going anywhere. Right. It sounds at the beginning like. Uh, it sounds like almost like a like a, a here's Ann a Murray throwaway. Song. Here's a throwaway tune, and it's not going anywhere. And then about. 20 seconds into it yeah there's a switch and you go oh wow this is <laughs> why isn't this a famous song yeah that's yeah. a that hook just got me i know they could have made it syrupy with strings or something like that or mellotron or, or mellotron yeah. <laughs> i don't i bet they couldn't afford a mellotron <laughs> I, I don't know uh it's funny this came right after uh what this is not right after uh big star but Two albums after Big Star. Well, it'd be interesting to find out which of these albums sold fewer. Well, it's funny. We're kind of we kind of hit a a, a weird point in our in the albums we're talking about where we're talking about stuff that's just it wasn't very popular when it was released. It was yeah. fantastic. Well, you know, we're doing a greater service if we're yeah. going to get people to listen to well, these two I, albums that I, nobody heard. You know, yeah. I can talk from the point of view of somebody, unlike you guys, who've known about this album for a long time, this being me coming up to it for the first time, and it's it's uh, it's rock and roll. It's, I, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, if you, if you kind of take what rock and roll is and 
and I don't mean this to sound in a bad way, but you strip it down, boil it down to its essence. I think you'd see. I think you'd see Southside staring up at you, smiling yeah, <laughs> from the pool. You, you know, and the thing we're talking about is voice again. I mean, like rock and roll voices. You, I think about Rod Stewart. I think about like Bob Seger or something like that. And he doesn't. Even Springsteen kind of had a pretty good, just straight rock and roll voice. But, um, you know, and then a, another guy that comes to mind listening to this album is um, Gary U.S. Bonds, ah. uh, who Springsteen and Van Zant worked yeah. with yeah. quite a bit. Southside just doesn't have a voice like that. But He's got a completely different voice. And it is so intriguing. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, there's... A song that showcases his voice in exactly the manner J.M.'s talking about. It's a cover of a song Aretha Franklin did that uh, I, I can't recall who wrote it, but it's Without Love. It is on his second album, and if you want to understand why his voice is so great and why the Miami horns are so great, <laughs> listen to Without Love by Southside Johnny. It is um, all those voices J.M. mentioned before couldn't pull off this song, and Southside Johnny makes it his own. It's just remarkable. Yeah, that's one of the things I think, I mean, you could almost... There's things that Rod Stewart has tried to do that just don't work. Like the American Songbook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you, there's, he did kind of branch out. I mean, he did things like Walk Away, Renee, with the big, huge um, backup singers, and uh, which is a fine version. I love that version of Walk Away, his version of Walk Away, Renee. Yeah, he did uh, a whole album full of Tom Waits songs uh, with... Um, the Bomb Big Band. Yeah. John Bon Jovi sings his praises. John Bon Jovi gives him credit for getting him into uh, into rock and roll. He made him a singer. And is is that something we would should be thanking Southside Johnny for? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think he's got his heart's in the right place, but I, I, I don't listen to John Bon Jovi, but um if 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 I, I recommend that you look up a video with Bruce Springsteen, Little Steven, uh, Southside Johnny, and John Bon Jovi, all New Jersey boys, singing... Um, Living on a Prayer? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> singing This Time It's For Real off off Southside's second album. Yeah. So that, wrap, that wraps up uh, us talking about this album. Um, I, I don't know if you guys want to talk briefly about what happened after this. I mean, the record company dropped him. Epic dropped him. Um and uh, I don't know much more about. I, I I did watch I did watch a lot of interviews with him. He's the most unassuming. He really like, is. Yeah. Just seems like the nicest guy on the planet, who uh, has every right, I think, in a way, to have a bitter chip on his shoulder. He just doesn't. He just doesn't. It's like I think he wakes up and says, "You know what? So what? I'm not super famous. I'm doing what I enjoy. I, people appreciate what I do. Um, yeah. I think that's how he feels about it. You know. Well, and. He's thankful not to have fallen into some of the traps of people he knows. I, one particular inter interview, he was talking about uh, 
Gary Talent and how much he respects him and how uh, he feels like he's been a great influence on his life as far as keeping him out of some of the harm that Mayhem. befalls many rock and rollers yeah. we've talked it, about. He told this really funny story about, uh, I guess he was on the same bill with some hair band and, uh, and he goes in the dressing room and they've got a thousand dollars, probably more is the guess one as far of cocaine sitting in a mirror and he's looking at it going, you got a thousand dollars worth of cocaine and you're getting paid $500 for this gig. Something ain't right guys. You need to figure out how to, how to use your money a little more wisely. Than this. Yeah. Well, he's an attractive person uh, to, to yeah. whenever you see an interview with him. Uh, very unassuming. He does not seem like a rock star. Not at all. At all. He doesn't and, dress like a rock star. And you no, see, well, we were talking. He dressed like your, your uh, uncle. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about there's this fantastic video of him playing the uh, harp harmonica with Albert Albert King, and wow. uh, and he's wearing a. a, a a corduroy jacket and a white tie. He it looks. You couldn't. If someone said, "Grab the whitest guy you can and throw him on stage with these guys," you couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't do better than yeah. this. But he holds his own, you know. Yeah. And it's, I think it speaks volumes that out, he's up there hanging out with Albert King and all these other blues guys, and he's yeah. just there's not missing a beat having the time done, of his life. Yeah, he's done some uh, a little bit of acting actually, um, and it, the. There's a uh, adventures in babysitting, I think. Plus, yeah, he plays a fraternity play band tra- party. Plays a fraternity party. <laughs> <laughs> God, I remember I found out about that, and I rented that video, and, and it was on VHS, and I kept speeding it up to get to the part where his band was. <laughs> I, I didn't care about the movie. Yeah, I didn't care. Well, I went and saw the movie on a date, and I just remember Southside was on the. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the best that's thing about that date. <laughs> the. Uh, after this, he, I, I, I do want to warn people just not to go out and buy any album out there because there are some that uh, are definitely not up to this level. And he went through a pretty dry patch after Little Steven joined up with the E Street Band and, and was no longer writing or producing. Yeah. But then later, an album called uh, Better Days came out, and... It is very similar to this album. Oh, it's kind of a reunion, yeah. right, between yeah, the two the of them? Well, well it is. Even, and Springsteen. Yes, and Springsteen comes on for a song, and Bon Jovi comes on for a song. Yeah. But it is a uh, it is a good album, and it is closest to this album of any of his albums. But if, if you're new to Southside, uh, start with Hearts of Stone. Uh, the two albums that precede it are, are fantastic. And then... Uh, skip from there to um better days and there are some other albums that are good i think into there's, the there's harbor Island, is good yeah but um just start with those four if, yeah. if you're a big album buyer so before i get to my recommendation let's uh talk about the ratings so we as we've been doing recently we have two ratings when we do an album rating one is what we think of the musicianship and the and uh, just the general production and uh, w- what we would think what we think of the album outside of whether we'd listen to it or not or like it, and then the second rating is based on that. What would we listen to it? Would we like it? To try to make the distinction between those two things because we feel that's an important thing. You can respect an album and listen to it and understand what it what it's about and have it not be something you'd ever listen to again. So. Right. right. All right, Doug. Since this is your pick, I'm using enormous amounts of willpower to rate this album critically with my 
all the willpower I have, I am going to give it a 4.9. That was a struggle. That's for the musicianship. That is for the quality of the record, if I were a critic. Okay. Now, I'm also going to say that the idea that I could possibly be a disinterested critic on this uh, album <laughs> is ridiculous. And, of course, it's a five on the other scale because I <laughs> absolutely, this is in my top five all-time albums. I just absolutely am in love with it. It, it pushes all my buttons. Okay. Jam, where, what are you at? As a critic, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I mean, it, there's hardly anything about this album that is wrong. I mean, it's, it's almost flawless. Um, musicianship, the, I mean, even today I was just listening to the production of it and just going, man, they, they recorded this thing so well. Whoever's doing the mixing on it did, did a great job. Um, I have a hard time distinguishing between a lot of uh, Southside Johnny albums. I just like listening to Southside Johnny. And there's times when I will fast forward through a Southside Johnny song. There's not an al there's not a song on this album that I would fast forward through and I think it's the quintessential um Southside Johnny album. I just have to be in a a kind of a specific mood for it. So I'm going to give it a 3.5 on my as far as how often I would listen to it. Okay. Uh I think I agree with you on the first rating. I'm going to do a 4.5. Um, so I can come at this from a sort of disinterested point of view because this is the, really the first time I've listened to this stuff. Um, I can honestly say that it's going to be hard for me never to put on got to be a better way home. I, yeah. I want to, I mean, I want to, I, every time I put this album on, I was so happy it started that way. Cause it was yeah. such a, it's such a great song. Uh, I think I'd give it a four in terms of listening to it again. I, I really, this was a surprise to me. I, when you put it on last week, Doug, when we were kind of cleaning the things up and you put it on, I was like, I was a little surprised yeah. that it was the way it was because I wasn't expecting it. And then when I got home and, and listened to it kind of uh, outside of that, I was surprised again. I was like, this this album rocks. Yeah. It's a blast. Um, it's one of those, I, I don't know why I always think about this, but I do, um, maybe because my first, my first real car didn't have air conditioning and I lived in Fort Worth, <laughs> but I always think about what, would this be a great album to just drive as fast as you can down the street with the windows, oh, yeah. the windows yeah. down, wind blowing through your hair and just screaming at the top of your lungs. And while not every song on this album hits that mark, 85% of them do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd give it a four. A four. So I think the thing that I, I, the thing I want to clarify, when I was listening to this album, uh, I, I almost forgot how many of the songs that I liked by Southside Johnny came from this album. Yeah. And there are so many songs by Southside that I like that I, but I think you might agree with me. There's not a lot of variety. No, it's, it's not, but that's okay. Yeah. It's, that's not, okay. it's not one of those guys that, um, well, it's, it's this is different than than, than M. Lou Harris. Where, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. Here I am <laughs> making believe, and then the next thing you know, she's doing this uh, girl, yeah, this amazing album uh, where it's completely different. Uh, Southside never does that. I, I mean, the closest he does is when he does his uh, big band with Lombardo. But yeah, but I can honestly say 
from what I listened to, and I, I'm going to give them a deeper dive and listen a little more before I listen to the first two albums. Those are not something I would probably put on that often. I, you know, mood struck me. I might. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't dislike them, but this album, like I said, straight from the get go, that first song just oh, yeah. is a just solid it. punch. Yeah, and the then, uh, the first two are much less rock and roll. Yeah, and to be completely honest with you, it took me a long time to appreciate uh, the songwriting and uh, some of the albums, or some of the songs on those first two. Tony, do you have a recommendation for us tonight? <laughs> uh, tonight, it's T. Oh, T. Do you have a recommendation for us tonight? Why, yes, T, I do. Um, uh, you know, we, we don't always uh, talk about music on this, uh, rec- do recommendations of music on this podcast. Um, so I would like to recommend a, um, a documentary that was put together by uh, a fan of, of Southside Johnny by the name of Dennis P. Uh, Laverti. I'm probably absolutely butchering his last name. What he, what this guy did was he scoured the internet and uh, and and uh, also just various sort uh, inter, um, video sources, and he put together this fan made. I think it's a three part uh, documentary that's for free on Vimeo wow. about the story of Southside Johnny. Um, and it, it was fascinating to watch. And he did it so it's chronological, what he's talking about. So there's film of him sitting on the steps of of what was, um, you know, that early club. And he's talking about it. And he's talking about the scene. And then there's, you know, later interviews where he's reminiscing on the scene. Anyway, it's, it's really fascinating if you're interested in that whole early part of the Jersey Sound. And Spring, Springsteen plays big in it as well. Highly recommend it. It, it was... Uh, it was really fun to watch, um, and he and as we've talked about many times, the guy is so unassuming mm-hmm. and and likable. You can't help but just want to sit there and listen to him talk about about what was going on at the time. All right, well, thanks, T. And I uh, was there. Someone else who had a possible recommendation, D. <laughs> I, uh, there's little Stephen, who is the other half of what we were talking about tonight, has really re-engaged him uh, music and he put out a studio album called Soul Fire which is unbelievable and he put out a another album which is a live album called The Summer of Sorcery And both are fantastic, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of overlap. But what I'm going to recommend is that you go to this service on the internet called YouTube, and look up Little Steven's concert videos from these two tours. Uh, yeah. Probably the summer of uh, summer of sorcery is the the better one. He has this amazing band, amazing background singers, the most gaudy uh, stage you have ever seen. And he's gone from the most intense rock and roll artist 
to the happiest avuncular man walking around pointing at everybody saying, hey, you sing now. Um, it is so fun to watch. And it's, the guitars are colorful. Everything's colorful. Everything's purple and pink and happy. And uh, I well, really I really think anybody who checks it out is going to think that's the happiest man well, in the world. Well, when you're talking oh, about yeah. someone, someone doing what they love, I mean, you can't help. When, if you listen to his station when he's the DJ oh, and yeah. you hear him talk about the music and the, the, yeah. uh, the guy just loves rock and roll. And, and he's he knows so, oh, he's so, so knowledgeable. Much. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And, I, I hope he'll never hear this show because he could just he could oh, you got just, that wrong. He could just tell us what idiots we are for yeah. all day long. I think yeah. he'd appreciate our passion at least. Yeah, he would appreciate us so. trying, and we hope you, the listener, appreciates our passion. We do this for you, the <laughs> listener, right. and to hear ourselves. That's, yeah. <laughs> so that's it for this episode of This Is Vinyl Tap. Next week we'll be looking at. This year's model by Elvis Costello. Remember, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and we're on Gmail, tappingvinyl at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter, at Tapping Vinyl. So for your host, Doug Cooper, your co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe,